when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us in this place now, this morning, and we trust that you are here in our midst. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if you feel this way, but I sort of feel like this morning that the Christmas season has come to an end. Which is ironic, I know, since today is actual Christmas. And of course, as an Anglican, I am obligated to remind you and to reassure you that I know that Christmas actually starts today. Christmas lasts for 12 days until Epiphany, and that countdown starts today. The famous 12 days of Christmas with the 10 lords a-leaping and five golden rings. Those are the 12 days after Christmas not before. So Christmas, far from being over, has in fact only just begun. But it's also foolish, I think, not to acknowledge the culture in which we live. We all started thinking about Christmas, I think, whether we wanted to or not, shortly after Halloween. Cast uh, stations and shopping malls started playing Christmas music, Inflatable lawn decorations started going up, and party attendance needed to be negotiated and planned. And it's not that different in church. Try as we might to keep Advent a season unto itself. The readings and sermons of Advent are all about waiting and prophetic hope, to be sure. But behind the scenes, even at church, behind the scenes it's all Christmas that dominates the mind. There's the pageant to plan for, various parish events to organize, all the music to pick, all the leaflets to print, and from my personal perspective, there are all the sermons to write. This, for example, is my third sermon in 24 hours. I first opened a new file on my computer and put words on the page that turned into this sermon on December 11th. So Christmas has been on my mind, Christmas has been coming for a long time. So this morning, it kind of feels like we're finished. I mean, how many of you have already opened presents this morning? Anyone? Okay, some in the back, we're doing fine, we're doing all, we're doing all right. But there's no sense of feeling finished like that, is there? All the anticipation, and yes, of course, even as a 45-year-old man, I am not immune to Christmas anticipation. I want a ton of great Christmas presents just like anyone else. All the anticipation has finally resulted in a stack of presents next to my chair and a mountain of wrapping paper that now needs to be thrown away. <coughs> the candles from last night are put away. The pageant costumes are back under my basement stairs, all the pomp and circumstance is over, and yet, here we are. And we'll be here for all the Sundays and the feast days this church year, celebrating joyfully, observing Epiphany, Ash Wednesday, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, and Pentecost, until Advent rolls around again. Why? What keeps us going? 
Well, I think it's just this simple announcement that puts gas in our tank, what St. Paul wrote to his protege, Titus. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The tagline, the slogan of our little church is proclaiming Christ's finished work to a worn out world. And that message is oddly appropriate for a Christmas morning, isn't it? That's a message for the cleanup after all the present opening. For some of us, the Christmas season itself, as joyful and as enlivening as it is, can be a source of exhaustion. But now, it seems like even the magic of Christmas already might be gone a little bit. That angelic announcement, the shepherds in the fields, the manger with the angels gathered round, the visit of the three kings, that all feels like last night and kind of a long time ago. It's the next morning now. Mary and Joseph have to figure out how to live their lives. And you and me, well, for you and me, the temptation is now going to be really strong to go right back to trying to save ourselves. That's the normal human state. That's our default. When we look at our lives, both outside our windows and inside our hearts, we can see clearly that things are not as they should be, that sin abounds, even on Christmas morning. And so ever since eating that fateful fruit in the garden, we start that most human of work, self-salvation, intending to accomplish it by our own striving. We work and we work and we work desperate to be able to lay our heads down on our pillows at night and think to ourselves, ah, I made everything okay. But despite all of our work, we wake up the next morning, even Christmas morning. Consider the world outside our windows and the rot inside our hearts and decide that we need to get back to work again. And that's why we're exhausted. Again, even on Christmas morning. We're exhausted by our efforts to be our own saviors. But Christmas, actual Christmas, and the good news that comes with it, Christmas stands as a stinging rebuke to this work, this self-salvation effort. Christmas makes a particular announcement that a Savior, and of utmost importance, a Savior who is not you, has come. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, Paul wrote, he saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. So this morning, I kind of wanted to strip everything else away. There was a worship song written in 1999 by 
a man named Matt Redmond called The Heart of Worship. And every Christian of a certain age will know this song. In it, Redmond sings that he's getting rid of all the pomp and circumstance, all the smoke machines and electric guitars, and coming back to the heart of worship. And when he does, he finds that it's all about Jesus. When the music fades and all is stripped away, it's all about Jesus. And there's something beautifully regular about the liturgy that we are rehearsing this morning. This is called morning prayer. No music, no communion. And that's not to say that those things are extraneous or extra or not needed, far from it. Indeed, we are explicitly called to sing out the praises of God and to feast at his table, eating bread and drinking wine, making tangible his body and blood broken and shed for us. But this service of morning prayer is what our prayer book lays out for us as a more everyday liturgy. Not just the Lord's Day, Sunday, but every day. We rise in the morning, confess our sins, hear God's forgiveness and absolution in Christ. We read the Bible and hear it interpreted. We pray. This is regular worship designed to be done every day. And why? Because every day we wake up and are sorely tempted to be our own saviors. St. Paul, again, writing to this young man, his protege that he is raising up in the ministry, refers to works of righteousness. He wants Titus despite all of his admonitions earlier in the letter to be good, he, he doesn't hesitate to tell Titus to be good, but here he's saying, make sure when you're passing on the good news to the churches that you're planting, make sure that you tell them that Christianity is not about your or their works of righteousness, as tempted as you'll be to think so. Christianity is about Christ the finished work of Christ for a worn-out world. Everything else is stripped away. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus for you. As Paul wrote to the Romans, Jesus came at just the right time to save sinners. At just the right time, which is, of course, when we needed him most, which is, of course, every single day. That's our normal state when the pomp and circumstance is over. When the candles are put away, when the camel costume is under my stairs, when the sun rises on a normal day and the world says, how are you going to make everything okay today? Don't despair. You do not save yourself. That's when Jesus comes.
Certainly he comes at Christmas. He literally came at Christmas. We celebrated that to the hilt. We're celebrating it now. And we'll celebrate all the other major days too. Pentecost, Easter, all the rest. But Jesus is in the everyday mundane too. And it's worth remembering that even on Christmas morning. He is in the joyous celebrations. He is in the quiet reflections. He is in his Holy Communion. And he is at your normal table. Whenever you eat and drink, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ is in the every day. Indeed, he is what makes every day possible. It is by his grace and mercy that you draw your next breath. So as we move into the Christmas season and move on from actual Christmas, let us remember always what Christmas would teach us. That on a normal day, in a normal place, at a normal time, the Son of God came into the world. And today, tomorrow, and the next day, normal days, in normal places, and at normal times, that Son of God has saved you. You are redeemed in his name and reconciled forever to a holy God. It is finished. It is accomplished, not by any works of righteousness that you have done, but by Christ's own righteousness given to you. Merry Christmas. Amen.